from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Nia Quinn's episode on our companion podcast first. If you like what you hear, check it out on Kindle Vela or LaterPress.com. The links are in the show notes. Uh, so, Christine. So, JP, it's been... Uh, uh, I see how your week would go was going, but I know because I just saw you two days ago. <laughs> we were hanging out in person, IRL. It was great. It was very fun. I had a blast. Yeah. So, how has your writing... I don't know. We kind of haven't been really, really talking for a while. So, how's your writing month been? Oh, it's been good. Uh, actually, as we are talking, um, we're dropping the 100th episode of Molecule Thief in a couple oh. days. I know. Oh, my God. It's crazy. It'll be have been out for a while um, when this episode releases. But yeah, so whatever. Steady <laughs> solidly into season three. Rolling. How about you? Excellent. Um, okay, I'll put my glass of wine down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things have been going well. Uh, I think this is, I don't remember, but basically I have been working and vacationing so much so that for a period of time, I was only in my household for about 24 hours in the past month. Um, but I think at this point I've been here a little bit longer and I think it was like a wave hit me and it was like, oh yeah, you're back home. Why don't you like relax for a hot minute? So I needed a couple of days to recoup, especially after our weekend, which was all about Web3 and author goodness. And it was really fun. I really enjoyed fun. every minute of it. But then my brain turned into mush. Uh, but I'm back at it. Um, I'm writing the episode for Nerds this week. And that's fun. It's also a coming out episode. Um, so that's even more fun. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm having fun. Uh, that's my that's my gist of things. I'm having fun. That's the best. Fun is fun. the best. Yeah, it's been a great week. We had that. And then um, a new three-story method book came out on writing scenes. So that has been cool. And I know you're going to be talking about that on your other podcast, Plug for the Right-Away podcast. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I, I, sh- I showed that on camera that, and we don't share camera with no, anyone. We don't share but camera. yes, Jay Thorne's writing scenes. We're going to do a book club on it because why not? Mm-hmm. So it's great. Yeah. Super helpful with scenes. I don't know what else is going on. I'm going this weekend to hang out with our awesome sound engineer who was also an awesome writer, James, this weekend. James. So woo, James. shout out to James. <laughs> oh, um, I do have an official sorry, sorry, listener. <laughs> um, I do have an official release date for the book one of our uh my co-written series with Abe. Uh it will be July. 18th that'll but be if, here so fast yes yeah i know i can't wait um yes so there's that yay that's all i'm gonna say about it i can't yay. wait to get it congrats yay so yay everything's good everything's yes. good yes let's talk to our author let's go do that okay. for real all right bye bye so jp let's talk so about pro writing aid And as they say on their website, it is the secret to polished and professional writing. As writers, we make the same mistakes. You use Pro Writing Aid, you can get clear, easy steps to improve your writing so you can share your ideas with confidence. 
whether you're doing creative writing, business writing, academic writing, just composing an email and you want to sound smart, Pro Writing Aid will help you. And 100%. there's something new. What is it, JP? So Atticus, which is a wonderful program uh, that includes book formatting and it is developing aspects for writers so that it can basically be a one-stop shop for writers, has an integration with ProWritingAid now. Uh, so we've mentioned before that ProWritingAid has a lot of integrations with you know Google Docs and uh, Microsoft Word and now Atticus, which just makes... Uh, one, it makes that tool Atticus really uh, shiny and nice for authors that are looking for a one-stop place. But it's just the fact that providing aid can integrate with so many programs so that you're able to use this sort of last line defense before handing it off to someone. Um, it just makes it so much easier. I love using ProWriting Aid because then I don't have people that are editing it looking for simple mistakes that I can find using ProWriting Aid that I can learn from. And instead they're looking at the deeper content and they're able to notate that. Um, so I just find ProWriting Aid so nice. So I love it when I hear a new integration has happened. Absolutely. Check out ProWriting Aid. It will help you be a better writer. ProWritingAid.com. Use our discount code Serial20. S-E-R-I-A-L-20. So JP, let's talk about later press. So LaterPress is a platform built to help authors uh, declare their independence. It lets authors create digital books and sell them directly to their readers through their own branded website. And there are new things uh, coming to the platform every day in terms of discoverability and new features. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I actually, I put nerds on later press and it was a really easy and really fast uh, process, which was pretty cool. And one of the cool things was you can put a collection and then you can put your, uh, like we put nerds in the collection uh, so that ideally if we do any spinoffs or if we do any like season two or like specifying those pieces, you can put those books in the collection, which yeah. is really nice. And it's a really nice way of like hierarchical, hierarchical uh, pieces to it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it basically gives you your own website. Ours is nrds.laterpress.com. And you just direct your readers straight there and they see nerds. It, it doesn't get blocked by anything else. There are no ads in the way. There are no, like nothing. It's just straight up nerds content for your readers to get straight to reading, uh, which is uh, different than some other platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and I did the same thing, um, although I uploaded... Uh, all of my books to a collection just so I had one place, you know, to, to direct mm -hmm. readers. And so I have Molecule Thief, Dark is Away, and the Steampunk Emerald Key is up there. So it's one link. People can see all your books and you can order them whatever way you want, uh, you know, or your yeah. cereals. You can put cereals up as well. And uh, yeah, and you can do it on a subscription model or pay per book. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, which was a, a really cool... Yeah. yeah, the pricing thing was pretty cool. Figuring out uh, either doing per book or some type of a subscription model uh, just to kind of give your readers different abilities to uh, support you. Because some people really like the, you know, it's basically like a Patreon, but yep. you just get content to read. Yep. And the cut is just 5%. Yeah. So test it out. Try it out. Yep. Laterpress.com. See you later, press. Okay, so I wanted to start off by talking about your hook. 
I'm the weirdo who makes friends with crows and collects little demons who just want to retire in peace, damn it. How do you go about crafting your hooks and where did this hook come from? <laughs> so that was, I think, one of the first few things that I heard Emmy saying in my head was those opening lines that just really like cemented her personality for me pretty much immediately. And I definitely had to go through and like do some tweaking and rewriting and everything to get it to where I wanted it to be. But she's just a very unique person. <laughs> she has a good sense of humor. And um, for hooks in general, I think it's just important to grab the reader right away, obviously. And just, you know, you can do that by having action starting right away that's intriguing or a dialogue that really grabs someone because it's unexpected um, or like that having kind of like a bit of internal narrative from the character that introduces them. There's a whole bunch of different options, but I think that one has worked pretty well for me. So. So with the aspects of, you know, crows and her kind of curiosity with looking in different cars and seeing all of these things that she can potentially find and all of the dangers that come with it. Uh, when we were thinking about like the theme or armature of the, at least this first episode, it really came across as something along the lines of like curiosity will lead to danger and adventure. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, do you use theme when crafting stories and what is the uh, theme that you hold to uh, if you do with sigils and sushi? It's not really something that I like actually sit down and plan out ahead of time for a story. Um, for me personally, at least that tends to feel a little bit too forced. Like you're trying to shoehorn it in there. Um, but I do naturally gravitate toward humor <laughs> um, and just like fun little details, adventurous stuff. And so that's definitely something that you'll find woven throughout the story just naturally because that's just kind of how I write. Um, but I like the way that you put it, that kind of curiosity leads to interesting things one way or the other because that is very true, um, especially in Emmy's world. She is quite good at getting herself into trouble. Um, and sometimes that turns out to be a good thing. A lot of the times it doesn't. So, Yeah. And uh, when we're introduced to Emmy, she's kind of got this motivation to search the cars of magical guests for anything good. Um, and we see that she kind of probably needs some type of adventure or to find some type of worthwhile magic item. How did you go about crafting her character in terms of her motivations and wants and needs well she's she, i think she feels a lot like she's just kind of stuck um she lives in a crappy apartment she had a bad relationship a while back that kind of soured her on like relationships um other than you know her friendship with brachius and and samara and damarian um her job isn't exactly you know a career <laughs> that she wants to stick with for the next multiple decades and so just any little opportunity that she can find to just bring a little extra spark into her life and have a little extra fun um, is definitely something that she's seeking out. Um, and being poor doesn't help, you know. <laughs> so that's also part of the motivation with her, you know, looking through the stuff that's been ditched in the cars is just like, is there anything here that can be helpful to me? You know, it can give me an edge, can help with the rent. Um, and occasionally she finds something that does. So, 
So in terms of scene construction, when we looked at this first episode uh, and we broke it down with the three C's, uh, this in this case, conflict choice and cliffhanger, uh, conflict, um, she feels this pain when she's inspecting the Camaro and then she chooses to go towards this, this blue light, like is she going to chase it? And she does. And then you leave us with this cliffhanger and it's an excellent um, continuation of world building where she's releasing this ink tattoo magic. Uh, I'm curious, how do you go about constructing your scenes and what does that process look like for you? So with the scenes, usually I'll have kind of a nugget of an idea of what's going to happen in the scene or at least how it starts. Um, I'm mostly a pantser. I do a little bit of planning, but a lot of it is just kind of see where the story goes. And so I'll just start writing first couple paragraphs, kind of get myself grounded in the scene, and then just kind of look around at the environment, the other characters she's interacting with, et cetera, to see where it would go. And I tend to write towards a turning point um, that I end the episode on. Um, and that can be a whole bunch of different things, you know, just like a mini cliffhanger, a question that gets raised, tension that's mounted, um, different things like that. And I don't usually know what the turning point is going to be <laughs> before I get at least halfway through the episode, um, partly because I always underestimate how much I'm going to be writing. <laughs> Uh, like I'll say, oh, all these events will fit into one episode. And it's like, no, that ends up being five episodes. <laughs> like, there's just no way. Uh, and so then I need five turning points, you know, instead of just one turning point. Um, so it definitely expands. Um, but yeah, so I sometimes I'll write just chronologically from start to finish of the episode. Um, sometimes I'll just write a couple paragraphs and then skip ahead like a few minutes, write a couple paragraphs, maybe write the end, come back, fill in the gaps. It just kind of depends on uh, what works best for my flow that day. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I really like that. I think that's really interesting because I don't think I've heard anyone called the cliffhanger the turning point before. And I just want to dig into that for a minute because um, I think I know what you're saying. When we're looking at like screenwriting, they talk about a turning point is when something changes in a scene and usually goes from like positive to negative or negative to positive. What do you think of when you say turning point? What does that mean for you in your writing? So that's actually a term that I got from Becca Syme. Um, and she was just kind of talking about different ways that people write and mentioned that as being one. I was like, oh, that's what I do. There's the word for it. And yeah, it's basically just where there's something in the scene where it's kind of, the story kind of hinges around it, even if it's just extremely small. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be earth shattering or change the whole plot, but just something where it just shifts the story a little bit or raises a question. And yeah, it can be, like you said, a cliffhanger or all sorts of different things um, on a scale of minor to major. Uh, so. Awesome. Uh, so I'm curious, what in your opinion makes a good urban fantasy? Ooh, let's see. I would say great relatable characters, um, including fun side characters. I feel like that's kind of a hallmark <laughs> of urban fantasy. Obviously magic of some kind in a modern setting, um, but there's a really broad range there. Um, I mean, I've read everything from like Kate Daniels, Jim Butcher to various different indie authors and everybody does it completely differently. So you have a really wide range that you can play with there. 
Um, definitely need some snark, <laughs> some sass. <laughs> I feel like if you picked up an urban fantasy without that, the reader would just be confused. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, it's, it's really quite a broad genre that allows for a ton of different worlds and writing styles. So I think that's part of the fun of it is you never quite know what you're going to get and it can be a lot of fun. So Definitely. So we saw that on your website, your tagline is found family fantasy. How does that tagline define the stories you tell and how do you come to, how did you come to discover that tagline for yourself? Ooh, so I didn't used to know all that much about tropes, at least before I started, you know, writing and everything. Um, but it's been become such a large part of the reader discourse in more recent years, like last five, 10 years, maybe, um, that I really started to pay a lot more attention to it because it's so good at helping you key in on what you love to read um, and finding more of that. Um and I read really widely across genres. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different little tropes that I love across, you know, mystery, romance, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever. Um, but I don't usually jive with a lot of the super popular tropes. Um, and so the only thing that I knew before I did the deep dive was that I really liked humor, you know if I was going to pick up a book and it didn't have any humor in it at all, it was a good chance I wasn't going to finish it. Um, but then when I started paying more attention to the different kinds of tropes, I realized that found family was another one that I really enjoyed. Um, and shockingly, <laughs> it's what shows up in my writing pretty often as well. And so that just seemed like a very natural element for me to gravitate towards and include as just kind of my tagline for my writing, at least for, for urban fantasy and everything. Um, all the stories I'm working on currently definitely fall under that umbrella. So. Excellent. I love found family stories. So that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so you have a demisexual character in your work. How does representation play a role in how you write stories? Oh, representation is I think so vital in stories because there's just a really deeply ingrained need for each of us to be able to see ourselves as the hero of a story, um, to see that adventure and magic and love, um, can be real for us, um, for someone like us and not just for the standard, you know, straight white cis guy or girl, <laughs> um, who was the focus of storytelling for so, so long. Um, and obviously they, you know, they deserve to have their stories told too. Um, but there's, there was definitely a lack for a very long time of diverse and marginalized characters. Um, so yeah, when I'm building up a cast of characters for a story, I try to be really mindful of including characters from backgrounds that are not the norm, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, different races, neurodiversities, orientation, gender identities, health conditions, um, you name it. My own close circle in real life includes all of that. And so not including at least a fraction of that spectrum in my story worlds is just unimaginable to me. Um, I mean, everybody needs to be seen and I want to do my part to make sure that happens. So. Excellent. I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, do you have any strategies you use as a writer to help deal with ADHD? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. 
<laughs> because otherwise I would not be doing very well as a writer. <laughs> um, I only got diagnosed with ADHD uh, in 2020. And so that answered a lot of questions for me on why I was struggling with different things. Um, and the very first thing that I found that helped me the most was something called body doubling sessions. And it's basically just where you're working with someone else. And whether that's in the same room as you, whether that's a call over Zoom, um, it doesn't matter. I mostly do Zoom sessions. Sometimes I'll do sprints and Discord, just something where your brain knows that there's someone else present. And that helps overcome a lot of the executive dysfunction for some reason. <laughs> I'm sure there are studies that have been done on it. Um, I don't know the details, but it really does make a big impact in being able to stay focused and on task and get done what you need to do. Um, I also have a visual schedule that I keep for myself every week. And Ooh. it literally sits right next to where I work and I can swap things around on it. Um, but it always just kind of, I can glance to my right and be like, okay, what do I need to do next? Because out of sight is literally out of mind for me yes. <laughs> forever <laughs> so the visual cue is extremely helpful yeah um yeah those are probably the two the two biggest things that have really helped me so yeah I love that you said that because I also have ADHD and it, I, I know if I don't see it it doesn't exist my husband's always like oh I've saved a house again I turned the burner off because if I'm not looking at it I just like totally forget <laughs> that it's a thing that exists in the world so I love that that schedule was beautiful so you guys mm -hmm. couldn't see it, but yeah. <laughs> too bad, listeners. Sorry. So you also do editing. Um, has that helped you with your own writing at all? Definitely. <laughs> um, I've been editing full-time for a couple of years now. Um, but before that, even, I was part of like online writing groups and things where you did mutual critiquing. And that was where I really first noticed that it's extremely helpful in learning craft because when you're writing, you're just kind of putting the words on the page. And then when you edit, you're just reading your own work. And so you're just coming at it with the same perspective that you already had. But with someone else's writing, their style is completely different than yours. And if you're having to critique, you know, a chapter or something that they've submitted then you have to actually think about why this thing isn't working instead of just being like, oh, I don't like this, put the book down. <laughs> you have to give helpful feedback on how to improve it, how to you know, rework it. And that really just kind of starts the juices flowing in your own head of you know, why certain elements work really well and why they don't work really well. And then it makes it a lot easier to apply it to your own writing. Um, with editing also, obviously, like, I'm pretty set on grammar and spelling. So that just makes the end of the process a lot easier for me. Um, but just like the, the nitty gritty of like craft itself, I'm always learning every day with every manuscript I get. Um, I learn something new and it's, it's a lot of fun, so. Excellent. So with the addition of polls, what are some of the polls that you've used or plan to use? Ooh, I haven't actually bitten the bullet yet and done a poll, <laughs> but I am very intrigued by them. Um, I do wish that they had the option to be left open indefinitely, but 
I guess, you know, if you set them like a year or two out, which I hear is possible, that might be close enough, you know, <laughs> it's a while. <laughs> um, most of the questions I ask in my author notes at the end are open-ended, which doesn't work so well for a poll. So I definitely have to kind of try to come up with a new scheme of like multiple options that would be fun. Um, but I have also been contemplating using them for just more like marketing things like have you signed up for my newsletter yet? No, this is the link. <laughs> and they can't click it, obviously, but you know, it's just my main website. And so it'd be easy to copy and paste or type in. Um, or have you signed up for my social media? You know, things like that. I think could, could be worth testing out at least. I don't know how valuable it would be overall, but worth a shot. Yeah. So speaking of websites, your website has an accessibility tool. Do you mind telling us a little more about that and how you set it up for any other authors looking to do the same? Yes, I would love to talk about that. Um, accessibility, it's just, I feel like it's so neglected for convenience sake. People are just like, oh, it's not worth the bother. And it's, I think it's just very important not to exclude the vast, vast number of people who really just need a simple simple tool like that to access content online better. Um, my site is built on WordPress. So if you don't have WordPress, you probably can't use the same thing I'm using, but I'm sure there's a lot of different tools out there. Um, the one I use is a free plugin called One Click Accessibility. And it just adds a button that hovers at the side of your site. It's pretty unobtrusive like it's noticeable for people who who need it but it's not going to block your whole website or anything you don't have to worry about that and a user can just click on it and it opens up a an array of options for things like changing font size changing the actual font to be more readable increasing contrast um, underlining all the links inverting colors things like that just whatever they need for their specific, you know, vision problems or anything to help make it more readable for them. So, awesome. So we we saw your board to the right of you, um, but I'm curious, what is your daily routine look like or weekly routine uh, when it comes to writing? Definitely a daily routine. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, obviously, I get up, get ready for the day. Um, then the first thing I'll do after eating breakfast is I have like a little mindfulness planner that it's just, I have it on my iPad. It's just a page in GoodNotes that I made, but I'll write in like an affirmation for the day, a little tiny gratitude section where I write down, like, I'm grateful for my rabbit. <laughs> I'm grateful that the sun is shining today. Thank you. Finally. Um, and then I'll put down what I plan to accomplish for the day. Uh, my weekly priorities, and then longer-term goals. Uh, basically, I have 10 goals that I set, and then when I accomplish the one, I'll switch it out with something else. Um, and sometimes I'll pull an oracle card, because <laughs> that can kind of set a fun intention for the day, or make me sob uncontrollably, depending on how hard-hitting it is. <laughs> um, and then once I've kind of done that whole journaling thing, then I'll start with my work, whether that's editing for that day or writing. Usually it's a, a blend of both. Um, I tend to do the best if I have multiple things to do in a day that I can switch between, um, especially if 
I'm not doing very well with one. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just do this instead for a while and come back to this later. And yeah, that board is very helpful for that because I have little magnetic cards on it. So I can just swap them around literally and be like, okay, we're going to do this later instead. Just kidding. Or even we're going to do this Thursday instead. It's not happening today. Um, and yeah, for writing, I'll usually write in sprints of 25 minutes. Um, usually at least two when it's a, a day where I'm writing an episode of Sigils and Sushi, I'll usually write for, it'll take me an hour and a half to two hours to write the episode and then I'll edit it and post it um, right after that. So. Nice. Oh, I yeah. want to quick, uh, Go ahead, follow I want to quick ask you, what's the uh, Oracle deck that you use? Ooh, it's the Threads of Fate shadow deck. And I can show you shiny gold podcast listeners. You can't see how beautiful it is, but it has like gold foil. Yes. And like a velvety purple color with, yes, it's amazing. It's I, I looked through like 572 different decks and this is the only one I found that I really liked. So I guess I'm a little picky, but it is really pretty. So awesome. Yeah. So do you have any favorite craft books or resources that you want to share with other writers? Yes. Um, for years and years and years, I listened to the Writing Excuses podcast on my commute. I don't have a commute anymore, so <laughs> I don't listen as much. Um, but it is a fabulous resource. Yeah. It definitely used to be a little more trad focused, at least when they're talking about things like marketing and agents and whatever. But most of the episodes are purely just craft um, and they're only 15 minutes long, so it's really easy to just be like, oh, this is a topic I'm interested in, play. Um, Brandon Sanderson's one of the speakers on that, and yeah. he also has a writing course that he posted on YouTube for free that yeah. I also highly recommend. Um, and then book-wise any of Becca Puglisi and Angela Ackerman's books, like the mm -hmm. Motion Thesaurus, their books on character motivation and conflict and all of that are fabulous. I use those all the time. Um, and Story Genius and Save the Cat Writes a Novel were really helpful to me. Um, I actually don't use their suggested methods anymore, but they really helped with kind of a mind shift set for me on how to think about story. So yeah. that was really Same. Yeah, same. Definitely. So as a final question, what would you say to someone looking to start a serial? Oh, I would say, first of all, have fun with it. <laughs> it's definitely a format that lends itself to kind of experimenting, trying something new, um, not necessarily kind of sticking in your same rut, although you can totally do that if that's what you're comfortable with. Um, but also alongside of that, don't overcommit. Um, especially if it's a platform that you're trying for the first time, you don't already have, you know, a serial up, then be really realistic about what you think you can do. You know, if you think that you might be able to write three episodes a week, start with two, <laughs> see how it goes, because readers will be a lot happier with a third bonus episode every few weeks than they will be if you promise them three and you're just really struggling to get that out. And you're going to be a lot happier with yourself, too, because you're going to be a lot less stressed. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. 
Yeah, thank, thank you. you very much for having me. It's a lot of fun. Our thanks today to Nia Quinn for letting us break down their episode. And, and that's, that's a wrap. A wrap. Before you go, do you want to see the rabbit? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a trick question? I'm sorry. What's that? Of yeah, course that I want to see the rabbit. I just realized that I've been petting him for like 10 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you're not sharing? He's so unconscious at this point. He just oh, I feel robbed. I just pet him. I feel <laughs> robbed. What's your buddy's name? Harvey. Harvey? Harvey. Is Harvey six feet oh tall? Oh my gosh. No, he's just a little <gasps> Hi, Harvey. Like, but oh my goodness. Look at your short little ears. <laughs> He's not Harvey, the biggest I love it. being picked up, but Harvey is adorable. You're so good. So yeah, he'll he'll literally just he doesn't like being up on the furniture much, but he'll just come and sit on the floor right next to me on the couch and be like, pet me, mom, pet me. me. So I'll have one <laughs> I hand on it. him, one hand on the keyboard, awkwardly typing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> how old is Harvey? He's nine. Oh boy, he's an old boy. Years. Rabbits usually only live, at least his size, like eight to ten years. Yeah. I think the outside is like twelve. Yeah. So he's still chugging along. So. Oh, good, sweetheart. Very nice. Thank he's you adorable. for sharing. <laughs> yes. Should I put you down there. Okay. Yeah, Harvey.